Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So we have Jesus coming down this mountainside where he's just delivered one of the most famous sermons I can think of and the most famous sermon on serving others that I know, the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, this is that mountain. He's just said things like, God blesses those who make peace and God blesses those who are mourning for they will be comforted and do to others as you would have them do to you and love your enemies And God blesses those who are humble. And as a huge crowd now follows him down from this mountain, a man with leprosy kneels down on the path in front of him and says, very matter-of-factly, Jesus, you can make me clean if you want. So Jesus has just delivered this beautiful vision of the kingdom of heaven, its values and its ideals from the mountain. And now as he steps back into this valley of the real world, the embodiment of the least of these, the embodiment of the outcast and the meek, and all these things that he's just talked about valuing, literally kneels down in front of him. And a hush falls over the crowd. What's he going to do? See, the conundrum is this. Lepers can't feel pain. You've probably heard of lepers losing, like, toes and fingers and stuff. And the reason was not because that the body was degenerating so much as that they couldn't feel anything, and so they would hurt themselves over and over and over again. And then the limb would become diseased and fall off. On top of that, the condition was contagious. This is not something you would wish on your worst enemy. The law of the Hebrews called many things unclean and impure. For example, women who were bleeding at their time of the month were considered unclean and had to be separate until such a time as that ended. Then they would go through a ritual and be declared pure again and rejoin society. So too, if someone touched a dead body, as another example, they would become impure and they would have to go through a ritual purification. But lepers? Well, despite this provision in the scriptures that... Uh, lepers could be declared clean by a priest. Leprosy was a terminal condition. There was no cure. And so, one would always be unclean. And those who were unclean were by necessity separate from society. And so on top of this, to their public humiliation, lepers had to go around announcing their condition to others so that they would stay away so as not become infected. Many believed that lepers were afflicted by God, that they were uh, struck down with leprosy by God because of some sin, and so it was their own fault for contracting this disease. It was the loneliest of existences. There's no community, there's no physical touch, there's no future. These people are in deep, deep pain, and most ironically because they can't feel it. 
So all of this is on everyone's mind as this leper now kneels down in front of Jesus and boldly but plainly states, Jesus, you could make me clean if you want. He simply acknowledges that Jesus has the power. He doesn't beg, he doesn't plead, he just says, you could do this if you want. We're in week three of our series, Jesus And, in which we are exploring how the life and teachings of Jesus inform uh, some of the harder aspects of the world that we live in. We've wondered about how Jesus interacted with religion in this day and how that applies to our lives now. We've seen how Jesus was political but not partisan as he pointed people away from putting their faith in politics and in politicians and pointed them toward living into the kingdom of God. And today, well, what does Jesus do with our pain? To investigate this, we've got to break a few things down. Um, and I want to start by saying that we have to acknowledge that pain is a problem for us because we don't like it. Now, I know that that sounds like a really dumb thing to say, okay? I recognize that, of course, we don't like it. It's pain. It hurts, right? But it presents the core conundrum of this whole conversation. If God is good, why pain? How could a good God allow pain and suffering? Okay, one complication. There is a difference between allowing pain and causing pain. Now we need to recognize that in the moment of pain, when our blood pressure is rising and the tears are streaming down our face and nothing feels like it's ever going to be right again, it doesn't feel like there is a difference between allowing and causing. In that moment, they feel like the same thing, but they are not. You'll hear this in a lot of ways when people say things like, everything happens for a reason, or God's testing me, or God is in control. All of these platitudes and others beside boil down to the idea that God actually causes our pain, which is ridiculous. That is entirely inconsistent with God's character. As C.S. Lewis wrote, nonsense remains nonsense even when we talk it about God. I think that's like my new favorite quote. <laughs> Next, pain is an indicator that something is wrong. I mean, again, super obvious, right? But if you think about it, in some cases, this is actually a really good thing. We've already seen how for the leper, the actual problem is that they can't feel pain. The system is designed to let them know that the stove is hot, but it's not letting them know that the stove is hot. And so more damage happens as a result. A good God who designed our bodies knew that we would have an indicator for something that's malfunctioning so we can then fix it. Which is good, because obviously we all look at the world and we see that it is broken. We, humanity, made the choice in the garden to separate ourselves from God, the author of life. And so God as creator is, by definition, the very source of life, and goodness, and so if we choose to distance ourselves from that, we've chosen to move towards death, towards chaos, towards decay. Now, the key word in all of this is choice. There is no way in which we can, God who, um, sorry, blah, 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 start over. <laughs> there is no way to make a world in which choice can exist without the possibility of choosing something bad, Okay? It's not choice if it's only possible to choose a good thing. 
The possibility must exist that you could choose the bad thing for it to be a true choice. And so in the garden we did. And in so doing, introduced chaos and death and decay into the system of the universe. So in order to give us the ability to choose, for example, the ability to choose to love God, the ability to choose to love one another, God had to give us the ability to choose not to love God, to choose not to love one another, which would, by definition, allow for pain in the world. Because love cannot be coerced and still be love. By the way, if you're interested in really exploring this, I highly recommend a book called The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. It's one of those mind-twisting reads in the best possible way. It's the uncertainty of it all that really makes the problem so messy, right? We really want God to heal our pain, but what if God were to say no? So those platitudes I mentioned earlier, God is in control, everything happens for a reason. They're often how we deal with the discomfort that's inherent in this question. But they're unhelpful platitudes precisely because they are wrong. Because actually, God is not in control. Yes, you heard me right there. I promise it gets better. Bear with me here. It's not because God can't be in control, but because God chose not to be. If God was in total control, it would once again mean that we do not have the ability to choose. We don't have agency. But the thought of that absolutely terrifies us. Because if God's not in control, who is? Because somebody needs to be held accountable for this mess, right? And it can't possibly be me. Tragic things happen, and rather than trying to blame God as if God wanted us to suffer, what is better is for us to acknowledge that this world is broken. We've inherited a broken world, and then we participate in a broken world. And we need to acknowledge our part in that and then enter into that time of mourning and lament with those who are affected by that brokenness. And so, yes, it's true. Everything does happen for a reason. The problem is not every reason is high and lofty. Sometimes the reason is that a butterfly flapped its wings in Peking, and so now we get a monsoon. Sometimes that reason is that we or someone else have made a bad choice, and choices have consequences that we don't want to have to deal with. You know, sometimes my stomach hurts because I ate too many donuts. Every parent knows that a child will not learn from their bad choices if they never have to experience the consequences of their actions. But most of all, we certainly don't like the terrifying thought that as the leper said, God could heal me if God wants to. So if I don't get healed, maybe God doesn't want to. And what does that say about God? Can God still be good if God doesn't want to heal us when we're in pain? What's most difficult about this question is that ultimately, until we see our loving creator face to face, there is no answer to the problem of pain that will satisfy us 
because pain hurts and we don't want that. Our true desire is for pain to be no more and to be more, no more right now. So only when it stops will we be satisfied. And that day is promised. If you read the book of Revelation, the day is promised. But nobody knows when that's coming. And in the meantime, we're still stuck in this world that we've inherited from our ancestors in the garden. And as the result of humanity's first bad choice now stands before and around Jesus, before him in the form of the leper that's kneeling down, and around him in the form of the society that now calls him unclean and cannot allow him to contaminate them. And the leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So the question is, will the crowd in this moment see if God is good? What will Jesus do? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. So there's this old joke that says when Chuck Norris jumps into a lake, he doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. <laughs> Just think that through for a second. So Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper. It's a thing as a Hebrew, as a rabbi, even as a human being, he should not have done, right? Leprosy is a bacterial infection. He should not want to risk illness. He shouldn't want to risk his uncleanliness. He shouldn't want to risk alienation from his community. He shouldn't want to risk emotional torment of a life lived in isolation. But like water gets Chuck Norris, Jesus did not get leprosy because that day leprosy got Jesus. As Rodney Reeves wrote, the merciful touch of a holy man made the unholy clean again. Jesus was willing. It says a lot about the state of things. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Don't tell anyone? Are you kidding me? Believe it or not, this is actually part of the healing. A leper had to go to the priest to be declared clean. Then the person could go rejoin society again, confident that they weren't going to make their family and friends unclean on top of everything, nor would they be infecting their friends and family with their mere presence. So by, standing, or by sending the former leper to the priest first, he's making sure that the leper is reintegrated into his community and that the community can, in fact, believe him when he says he's clean. This is a holistic healing. We Americans have this tendency to break everything up into categories, right? They do, the categories don't really touch one another. We have this bucket for physical health, and we have a bucket for mental health, and then we have a bucket for emotional health, and we have a bucket for social health, and then sort of way off in the corner, we have this bucket for spiritual health when it's convenient for us. But the Hebrews, and especially Jesus, did not think that way. To Jesus, all of these things overlap one another. Our social health is impacted by our physical health, is impacted by our mental health and our emotional health. And all of these together are our spiritual health. God is not interested in being a separate category. God cares about our entire integrated whole being. God's interested in our minds, our bodies, 
our emotions and our social beings, not just, for example, what we might know about God. So to heal the leper, Jesus heals the whole leper. Not just the leper's body or his emotional state or his relationships. No, Jesus cared about all of it. God cares deeply about our pain. We can go through many, many other examples in the scriptures where Jesus heals not only a body, but a mind, a family, even a community. If you keep reading, you'll keep seeing examples of Jesus' willingness to sit and enter into our pain with us. The centurion and his paralyzed servant, Peter's mother-in-law, the healing of the demon-possessed. Keep going and you go through the rest of Scripture and you'll see more. The Samaritan woman at the well, Zacchaeus, Matthew, the woman caught in adultery, the man possessed by demons, the blind servant, the blind beggar, the, the one who is healed from demons outside of Decapolis. On and on and on and on. Jesus is involving himself in the lives of real people in real pain. So this is such a hard question. I was going to say I drew the short straw with this one, but Ben talked about politics last week, so I think I, I didn't. But there's a few things I think that we need to cling to in the midst of our wrestling with our pain. First, God promises to be with us in our pain. As we heard earlier, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would bear our infirmities. I think this is not just our physical illnesses, but it's all the ways in which pain is part of our reality in this world. Our physical, emotional, mental, social, all of those. Throughout the scriptures, we see God engage with all of these types of pain in their variety of combinations and connections. The book of Lamentations in particular is a very challenging book to read. It was written during the time of Israel's exile from their land to Babylon. It's a time of great pain and sadness. There's many who have been killed. The able-bodied are now slaves. The rest of them were left behind to fend for themselves in a land that was on fire. It's hard to find a harder time in the scriptures than this moment. It was written to express lament and to protest pain before God. And yet, in the book... God never speaks. Not once. We hear from a poet. We hear from Lady Zion, who is the representative of Jerusalem. But not God. And this is included in the scriptures, the story of God. Why? Theologian Chris Wright writes this. This is the essence of biblical lament. It is faith struggling with vertigo over the chasm between what it knows to be true about God and the realities of what it sees or experiences in this fallen world. God remains silent throughout. He allows the other voices to speak their A to Z till they have said all they want to or can. He does not interrupt whether to comfort or correct, to explain or to excuse. It is as if, as if God listens to all the words of the speakers of Lamentations and then turns to us, the readers, 
and says, you need to hear this. Hear my word as you listen to the voices of my people. God is with us in our pain to the point that he makes our voice his in our mourning. When Jesus came to the place where Lazarus had been buried not four days earlier, he sees the mourners. He sees the tears of Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. And scripture says Jesus wept. Not just because of his friend's passing, but because of the pain and this death caused Lazarus' family and friends. Everything is connected. Pain is not what God planned for us. God does not wish us this pain. But when God does not heal, we know that God weeps with us, for us, beside us. Jesus was the man of sorrows, the one who lost friends and family, the one who was betrayed, isolated, beaten, flogged, and crucified on an enemy cross. Jesus experienced the full possible range of human suffering. And so when I say Jesus sits with us, I mean that Jesus sits with us in the empathy that comes from experience. If Jesus himself was not spared, we can with good example see that sometimes there's nothing to be done except weep together and look forward to the day when pain and suffering and death are no more. So too, we as the body of Christ here on earth, the church, are meant to gather around those who are weeping and mourning, those who are in pain. We are meant to stand or sit or kneel in solidarity with one another and carry one another's burdens. Not cheaply, not with platitudes, but like Jesus with the empathy that comes with seeing, or at least the desire to seeing that suffering end. We can't always heal or remove a person's pain. But we can sit with them in it. Some of you know that I have something called high-functioning anxiety. And occasionally I'll mention that I'm dealing with the pain of an anxiety attack. If I was on my own with this, this would be completely unbearable. But when I let others know, especially people who care about me, these people pray for me, they send me words of comfort, they check up on me. And since I've been speaking more openly about this, people have also told me how encouraging that it is to know that they are not alone either. That we can talk about these things together, we can encourage one another to keep going, and we can share strategies with one another about breathing exercises or other healthy coping mechanisms. We can let pain isolate us into anger and fear, or we can let pain gather us into a community with a common cause. See, where we find pain, we will often find a community that bears it together. The story of your present suffering and pain may be responsible for someone else's future healing. I've seen it. So what matters now is how you choose to engage that pain. As author and nurse Anne-Marie Miller writes, when we lift one another's burdens, we directly affect the healing of another. We show light and love where the enemy has caused deep and tremendous pain. 
So God promises that pain, that God promises that God will be with us in our pain. The second thing that God promises us is that God will work good from our pain. As we've said, God doesn't plan to leave us the way of our pain. This isn't the way it'll always be. Rather, God is already at work in creation, shaping things towards a time when Jesus comes again and pain and suffering are no more. See, there are many times when our pain can be used for good. It can teach us many things about who God is. God's generosity to those who are lowly or meek. God's provision to those in need. And especially God's ever-present, never-ending faithfulness to all of creation. Long-term, the big picture. We can learn how dependent we are on God, that we don't get to just do everything ourselves. We can learn about how God can use not just the mysterious, miraculous moments, but also use the ordinary moments of generosity to provide for someone else. We can learn how God can sustain us through long seasons of trial, placing not just our physical needs in God's care, but also the rest of them, the mental, physical, emotional, social needs there as well. We can learn how we don't always actually have the ability to see the bigger picture. That we are dust, and to dust we shall return, as we say during Lent. But that God does see the bigger picture, and without fail is always working with our ultimate good in mind. So as Paul wrote to the church in Rome, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength and character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Or as the sing. The song we sing so often goes, you are a savior and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful. Or again, as Paul wrote, now I'm sure of this. The sufferings we endure now are not even worth comparing to the glory that is coming and will be revealed in us. For all of creation is waiting, yearning for the time when the children of God will be revealed. You see, all of creation has collapsed into emptiness, not by its own choosing, but by God's. Still, he placed within it a deep and abiding hope that creation would one day be liberated from its slavery to corruption and experience the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that all creation groans in unison with birthing pains up until now. And there is more. It's not just creation. All of us are groaning together too. Though we have already tested the first fruits of the Spirit, we are longing for the total redemption of our bodies that comes when our adoption as children of God is complete. For we have been saved as children in the hope and for this future. But hope does not involve what we already have or see. For who goes around hoping for what he already has? But if we wait expectantly for things we have never seen, then we hope with true perseverance and eager anticipation. We are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me?
God, we are grateful that you are with us. Lord, we lament the pain and suffering that we see in our world, that we see all around us at times, that we see in our own lives, the lives of our friends and our families, and our colleagues, our communities, in our nation, in our world. Brokenness is so evident to us, God, when we pay attention. But Lord, we take this moment to lay down our fear and to pick up trust in you. That platitudes are unnecessary because you are at work that you are working in our lives and in the lives of our community and our world to bring hope for a time when this all goes away. When you remake the world as you intended again, when Jesus comes again. So Lord, until that time comes, may we be fully aware of your presence with us. May we be fully aware as we mourn and weep with those who are mourning and weeping, that you sit beside us, arms open wide in embrace. We lay down our suffering at your feet today, God. In your name we pray together. Amen. Amen.